today's verse or passage uh, is supported by, or at least is going along with the idea of the Great Commission instruction to teach them to observe all that I commanded you. So we, you know, we need to figure out what did Jesus command, and then we need to observe it ourselves, which means to keep it and to guard it, but also to teach other people, to teach one another to keep these things that Jesus has commanded. The last little bit of the Great Commission is the promise that Jesus will be with us. And and that ties in very uh, closely to this passage. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. And what is going to happen is, is Jesus is going to have an interaction with some Pharisees and some Sadducees. And then he's going to have some time to teach his disciples. And an overarching idea in this passage will be whether or not we trust God, whether or not we trust Jesus, and and to the degree that we are willing to trust. And so hopefully as we go through this, you will see those ideas in both parts of this passage. But our our focus for today is definitely that we might learn to trust God and specifically learn to trust Jesus Christ himself. And so we we were picking it up. Uh, What's been going on is Jesus has been healing and teaching and we are going into an area where uh, Jesus has actually fed the 5,000 in chapter 14, and then in chapter 15, he is fed a 4,000. Sometimes we forget that he did that miracle twice with different numbers of um, beginning elements, bread and fish, and different results both times. But after he has fed the 4,000 men and having the children and women besides on the, uh, uh, in, in addition to those numbers, uh, he sent the crowd away and then he got in the boat and he came to the region of Magadan. And it's in this region that some Pharisees and some Sadducees come to Jesus. So let's pick up on this in chapter 16 and uh, verse 1. The Pharisees and Sadducees came up, and testing Jesus, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. So the, the first thing Matthew wants us to know is that their questioning is not with the intent of any real desire to grow or to know anything from him. Their their desire in asking for a sign is because they're testing him. And that word testing is the same word for temptation. They are trying him. They're testing him. They want to see if they can't catch him in something. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. And and we have the same thing, you know, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky in morning, sailor take warning. Based on the way that the light and, and the sky looks, we know whether or not a storm is coming in. We can walk around, and if we look up and we see sunlight and we see blue skies, we say to ourselves, oh, it's going to be a good day. It's bright and sunny. But you see some dark clouds moving in, and you start thinking to yourself, we might get some rain. 
we have the way of looking at the sky and being able to tell what kind of weather is coming. Jesus says to them in in, in verse 3, Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the times? They're asking him for a sign, and he says, Look, you guys can look at the sky and you can see the weather. Why are you unable to discern the signs of the times? And then in verse 4, he uh, brings judgment upon them. He judges them and he says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. And a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And we are told after that, he left them and went away. A sign will not be given it, except for the sign of Jonah. Now, uh, a few chapters earlier, Jesus had already said this exact same thing to another group of religious leaders. And this time, he told them what the sign of Jonah was. That just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man would be in the belly for three days and three nights. The belly of the ground, the earth, the the tomb. So Jesus, what he is telling them is they've come and asked him for a sign. And this was a regular request of the Pharisees. Show us a sign so that we might understand or, or, or acknowledge who you are. Now, Jesus has been doing signs. He has been healing people. He has been healing paralytics. He has been healing blind people. He has been healing, healing uh, lepers. He has been healing people. He has been performing signs. He has fed 5,000 men with five loaves and two fish. He fed 4,000 with seven loaves and and a few small fish. He has been performing signs. And and Jesus' signs, His miracles, always had the, uh, the purpose of supporting His teaching. Jesus wasn't healing people just for his health or their health. Jesus did not heal everybody that lived in the land at that time. Jesus' healing had a specific purpose. His miracles had a specific purpose. And that was to give vindication of what his teaching was. Okay? In fact, when he heals the paralytic, what does he say? He, he looks at the people and he says, your sins are forgiven. And, and everybody gets upset that He would forgive the sins of another person. But then what does Jesus say? What's easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? Well, obviously, isn't it easier to say your sins are forgiven? I I could say your sins are forgiven. Who's to prove me wrong? Right? They're not tangible to be seen. But for me to say to somebody who cannot walk, get up, pick up your mat and walk, well, that's tangible. That can be proven or disproven very quickly. And that's what Jesus said, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. And then he turned to the paralytic and he says, I say to you, get up, pick up your mat and go home. He healed the man. For his benefit, yes, but greater purpose to prove that he had the ability, the right, the, uh, the ability to forgive sins, the power to forgive sins, the authority 
to forgive sins. And a whole bunch of people saw that and said, wow. And then there were other people that saw that and said, how dare he? And the people who said, how dare he, are the ones that are coming saying, show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign, show us a sign. But Jesus has shown them plenty of signs. They really don't want another sign to prove who he is. They're just testing him. They're trying to prove him wrong. They're trying to trip him up, and he won't let them. Instead, he turns it on them, and he says, look, you've had enough opportunities. You can look at the sky, and you can tell whether a storm is coming or whether bad weather is coming. Why is it that you're able to discern such a small thing, and yet you can't discern the signs of the times? Who I am, what I am doing, and what that means for you. He says, no other sign is going to be given to you except the sign of Jonah. His greatest sign was his death on the cross and his resurrection. It's the ultimate support of his teaching that he is the Son of God, that if we believe in him, we will have the forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. If he doesn't rise from the dead, he isn't who he says he is. But if he rose from the dead then we better take note and believe. Paul tells the Corinthians that if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then our our lives, our faith is completely in vain. If, If he is still dead, then we are still dead in our sins. But if Jesus is alive, if he rose again, then we have the hope of life. And, and, and there, are, there are people today that, you know, they're always wanting God to do something special in their lives. If He would just show up in my life, if He would just do this, oh, I would believe if God did, and then you just fill in the blank, whatever they're looking for, if God would just do that, I would believe. And, and the truth is, is that God has already done everything He needs to do for us to believe. God has made enough known for faith to grow. He has done enough, He has shown Himself enough, He has proven Himself enough that for those who have faith, it will grow in their hearts. The people who say, oh, if God would just do something special, He has done something special. He sent Jesus. And Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And He has communicated that message throughout the generations. And the request that God would do something extra special or something new this year, well, that's... That's not from a heart of faith. That's what Jesus calls an evil and adulterous generation. An adulterous generation. And that that idea, especially against these um, Pharisees and these Sadducees, these religious leaders, he's in essence saying you're cheating on God. You are not faithful to God because you ask of me of these things. He wants us to trust in Him. To believe in Him based on what He has already done. Not that He would do something extra for us today. But that we would believe in Him because of what has already happened. When, when uh, Thomas said, I, I won't believe He's risen until I see His hands and I see His side and I even touch it with my own fingers. I, I want to touch Him before I believe in Him. And, and Jesus was 
kind to Thomas and said, here you are, the rest of your buddies, they got to see me, so I guess you get to see me too. Will you believe me now? But what else did he tell Thomas? Blessed are those who believe without seeing. Every single one of you here today who has believed in Jesus Christ, you have believed without seeing. You have believed based on the testimony that somebody else has said of something that happened thousands of years ago. He has done enough for our faith to ask Him to do more is to be evil and adulterous and to to be pushing in ways that He does not want to go. And we'll see that Jesus is bothered by these Pharisees. These are supposed to be the religious leaders. They're supposed to be the ones that get Him. And yet they are are so full of religion, but they have no, no faith with Him. In fact, He tells the disciples after He has left them and gone away and we're told in verse 5, the disciples came to the other side of the sea, but they had forgotten to bring any bread. This is just a technical issue. Uh, they didn't have supplies on hand. They didn't take any bread for that day's meal in the future. And as Jesus is brewing on the Pharisees and the Sadducees in verse 6, Jesus said to them, watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now the disciples hear that, and in verse 7, they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, he said that because we did not bring any bread. This can so often be us. We're so focused on our temporal situation, our physical situation. God's trying to teach us something, and all we can do is think, he's upset with me. That's where the disciples are. In their minds, Jesus is troubled by the Pharisees, and their actions and their attitude and their questions. And he's talking to his disciples and he wants to teach his disciples. And so he's teaching his disciples, beware, watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. But all the disciples here is a rebuke for themselves. Oh, he said that because we did not bring any bread. He must be upset with us. He must be disappointed with us. They, they're, they're focused on their situation. They're focused on themselves And they think that he is angry with them. How often do we respond to God that way? You know, that that he's trying to teach us. He's trying to help us to grow. And we just think, oh, he is so disappointed. We must have let him down again. Now they have let him down. (laughs) Their questioning has let let him down. Uh, Jesus, in verse 8, aware of this, aware of their discussion amongst themselves, said, you men of little faith, Why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up? Or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets full you picked up? These are two experiences that they had just had in the narrative. Don't you remember these things? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? But beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And I I love Matthew's inclusion in verse 12. Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread. 
Like, then they understood he wasn't talking about bread. Then they understood he wasn't talking about be worried about, you know, not having enough bread on hand. Or I, I don't know why you would be worried about the leaven of bread, except for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. But instead, they understood that he was teaching to them to beware not of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He was teaching them to beware of the leaven of their teaching, that, that their teaching spreads. Leaven is put into the dough so that it might uh, puff up and make bread. And you just put a little bit in and, and, and it will grow and it will spread. And you can't control it. And that's why he's telling them to be watchful and be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees because their teaching can spread. It can grow. It can infiltrate. It can uh, contaminate everything that they would want to keep pure. So watch out for that. The teaching of the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, as I mentioned earlier, they're not really looking for a sign. They're looking for an opportunity to test and to try and maybe to trip up Jesus. I think part of the problem was that they were so full of their religion. They were so full of all their rules and all their laws that, as I've said several times, when, when, uh, when, the, when God actually showed up in the flesh, they couldn't recognize Him. The religion that they had built was so divorced from what God had established on Mount Sinai that they couldn't even recognize God when He showed up in front of them. God in the flesh. I sometimes wonder, you know, you, you see... Uh, models and things in museums of uh, prehistoric man and all these things and they I wonder sometimes if if we as human beings are so changed over the thousands of years and the different environments that we live in that uh, you know when we get to heaven God will look a little different to us you know he might have a bigger forehead and bigger ears and everything that we think is wrong we'll find out, no, we have just changed so much as humans that we don't look anything like he originally did. And, you know, it's just one of those little thoughts I have about we see these things and we say, oh, these were different human beings. These were different creatures. They weren't even human. And I think, what if they were closer to the real thing? And we're, you know, because if anything happens, we devolve. We get worse over time. Our genes break down. And so the things that we think are so attractive, the, the things that we think are so good, are actually the breakdown over centuries of what God had originally created. That's what they have done. Their religion that they hold so true and so, so pure and they, they hold on to it so fast, it doesn't look anything like what God had created. It doesn't look anything like what it should have been. And when Jesus shows up, they can't recognize the true faith. When He says, believe in Me, they can't do it. When He says, these are the things that God cares about, they can't do it. And yet, you can go to the Old Testament and you can see all sorts of clues that people in the Old Testament got it. David, in the psalm says, uh, you know, if you desired offerings and sacrifices, I would give them to you, but you desire a pure and contrite heart. It's not the sacrifices, it's the heart. It's, you know, 
I desire compassion, not sacrifice. And yet they, they didn't get it. And, and, and this is something we need to be uh, careful about in the church in America today, the church throughout the, the world, uh, that we can be so full of a religion, that we can be so full of our, our traditions passed down and, and the things that we hold dear, that we lack faith in Jesus. The, the, the leaven of the Pharisees is religion without faith. It, it, it's all the, the religious trappings, it's all the teachings, but without faith in Jesus. We can have scripture, and we can have good songs, and we can have piety, and, and we can have you know, giving of our money so that we can help charity. And if we do it all without faith in Jesus Christ, we're missing the boat. And this is what Jesus was worried about for his disciples. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. Beware having all this religious practice. Beware having this, this, this action without faith. To trust Jesus Christ. The, the Pharisees were unwilling to trust what they have already seen as evidence and enough evidence that Jesus is true and who he is and that they need to listen to him. They were always looking for just, look, give us another sign. Give us another sign. And the disciples were in danger of going the same way. We're all in danger of going the same way, of, of being so focused on things that we can control, because quite frankly, the, the rules and the laws of religion are things we can control. They are, you know, we, we can tell if you're good or bad. If you, if you dress right, if you wear the, take the right Bible, if you do the right things, you show up at the right services and you do this and you do that, those religious rules, it's easy to tell who's in and who's out, who's behaving and who's not. But faith is a completely different thing because sometimes faith and living out that faith doesn't look religious. It can even not look right where faith will lead people to go in places that a good person would not go to, but a, a righteous person who loves their neighbor, who wants to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, might go there. We've got to watch out for the teaching of the Pharisees that is all sorts of rules and laws, but has no faith. And, and that's the problem. See, the disciples aren't quite getting it. Remember the... Jesus says to beware the leaven of the, the Pharisees. And what did they do? They started discussing amongst themselves, oh, he's saying this because we didn't bring any bread. But then, you know, in, in verse 7 there, they, they, they're saying, uh, we didn't bring any bread. They're focused on the temporal. They're focused on the, 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 the physical. Oh, he's upset with us. But what does Jesus say? You men of little faith. Why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Men of little faith is a phrase only used by Jesus six times in the New Testament. It's only used by Jesus, and it's only used six times. Two of those times are Matthew and Luke, both referring to the Sermon on the Mount, where he's saying, you know, your, your, your Father in Heaven will clothe you. Look at the birds, they're fed. Look at the grass of the field, and it's got these flowers, it's so beautiful. If God can so clothe the flowers of the field, the grass of the field, 
Won't He clothe you, O men of little faith? Okay, so two times it's in regards to God is going to provide clothing for you. Another two times are at sea in the, in the Gospel of Matthew. The first time we saw that, when, when Jesus is asleep in the boat and the disciples are afraid they're about to be swamped, and they come to Him and they wake Him up and they say, Don't you care? And His response is, You men of little faith. And then He rebukes the wind and the waves. The second time is also at sea. It's when Peter says, Command me to come out to you. And then the wind and the waves, are, they're scaring Peter, and he takes his eyes off Jesus, and he starts to sink. And Jesus reaches out, and you know, Peter says, help me, save me. And Jesus reaches out and picks him up and says, oh man of little faith. Obviously, this is a time that Jesus uses it in his teaching of his, to his disciples. They've forgotten to bring bread. And then the, the sixth time is in just another chapter um, when Jesus is coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration and there's a man there who brought his son who's paralytic and, and who's demon-possessed and he'll have these fits, not paralytic, but uh, he'll have these fits where he can't control himself and he, he doesn't have the ability to use his legs and his arms and he just falls over. And he says, the disciples, your disciples weren't able to heal my son. I brought him to you to be healed and your disciples couldn't heal him. And Jesus heals him and then the disciples say, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, you men of little faith. This kind only comes out through prayer. In essence, what Jesus is telling the disciples in that moment is, is you didn't believe that God would heal him. It wasn't in you to heal the boy. You had to pray to the Father to heal the boy, and you actually had to believe that when you prayed to the Father, that He would actually do it. And that's why you failed, because you didn't pray and you didn't believe. Each time that Jesus calls His disciples, O men of little faith, and it's always directed to His disciples, whether in uh, teaching of that you'll be clothed and God will provide, or directly about the storms, or about that, or here, It's always to the disciples, and it is always in regards to will God provide and care for us. He will clothe you, O men of little faith. How much more will God clothe you? If He clothes the grass, He'll clothe you. They're in the the sea, and the boat's getting swamped, and they're afraid, and they think they're dead. But they're in a boat with Jesus. And His point is, as I was here, we weren't going down. Why are you afraid? I'll provide for you. Same with Peter. Same with the the, uh, demon-possessed boy. Pray to God and believe that he'll actually do it. And here his point is, why are you guys discussing about bread? Why do you think I'm worried about bread? Why would I, uh, having seen what I have done, Why would you think I am worried about bread? It says, do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you got? Or or the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets full you picked up? 
if there's anybody in the world who isn't worried about where his next meal is coming from, it's Jesus. And his point to his disciples is not that he's upset with them that they haven't brought bread, which is what they're thinking, because normally it would be the disciples' responsibility. If you think about it, a teacher is not responsible for providing their food as they're going about and teaching people. No, the disciples are there to care for him. The disciples are there to make sure he is fed. The disciples are there to make sure he has a place to lay his head down at night. And they're learning from him. But he shouldn't be bothered with these things. But Jesus flips things around. In Jesus' way, he is responsible for feeding his disciples. He is responsible for making sure his disciples are taken care of. He tells his disciples later on in his ministry, right near the end, that he has come as one who is to serve, not to be served. And that's why when everybody's sitting around the table and nobody's washed anybody's feet, Jesus is the one who gets up and washes everybody's feet because he is responsible for them, not the other way around. And the same is true for us. Jesus is responsible for caring for us. We do not need to do things for him. Now, we we serve him. We worship Him. We honor Him. Yes. But here, we are not responsible for taking care of Him. This is the great difference between, I I believe, true faith and Christianity and the other religions out there. You want to make fun of Jesus? You want to, you know, with your artwork, you want to, to, to make fun of God and make fun of Jesus? Not my problem. He didn't make me the grand inquisitor of artwork. You know, in my lifetime, we've had the cross in a jar of urine. We've had Jesus' head on a pike in some play. It's all over the place, all the time. Artists are always trying to be edgy by uh, putting Jesus down. I'll tell you what they don't do. Artists, very few, some do it. But artists are not so edgy as to put even, not, not even God, but just a prophet in such a way. I remember years ago, I think I might have been in college at the time, there was a play that had like Jesus' head and the head of Buddha and the head of Muhammad. And they decided to take that out because that was too, that was too hot. You know, that was dangerous. They had all these gods' heads on pikes at some port, portion of this play. And they realized our insurance doesn't cover terrorist attacks. Let's take Muhammad out of there. So you can make fun of Jesus all you want. You can, you can, uh, you, you can put him down. You, you can laugh at him. It's dangerous to do that to Muhammad, who isn't even God. Why? Because he's not the truth. See, he's not the truth. Therefore, his, his disciples, his followers, they have to defend him. They have to defend and they have to attack anybody who would dare attack him or make fun of him. That's why if you're a French newspaper or magazine and you paint pictures of Muhammad and you publish them, your offices will be attacked and you will be killed because he isn't true. He's a lie and lies must be defended by the means of the world. 
The people who don't believe in Jesus Christ, who claim to be Christians, who don't believe in him, are the people who feel like they have to defend him. That's why Christianity in the time of the Crusades was more of a political power, a world power, and not a faith in Jesus Christ. Because he does not need us to kill people for him. He does not send us out to defeat the infidels, those who would dare not believe the truth. No, that's on them. We are here to give them the truth. We are here to speak love to them. We are here to love our enemies, to take the message to them, to be killed if that is their desire. We don't have to defend Jesus the way they think the world thinks you do because he is true. He is God. He will take care of it. We don't need to do it. There's enough evidence throughout Scripture through the, the Exodus, the Red Sea, through Jehoshaphat, how many times do you see God taking care of his people? Uh, Elijah, Elisha, with, with the, you know, the Syrians coming in and, and they're blinded and he takes them right into the king of Israel. He didn't have to lift a finger. He doesn't need us to defend him. He doesn't need us to take up his cause with a sword. As Jesus told Peter, put away your sword. If I wanted to. I would have legions of angels at my command. I don't need to. I don't want to. I don't need your sword. No, but what does he want? He wants our faith. He wants our feet. He wants our message of love and faith to the world. The disciples think he is talking about bread. He's like, no, I, 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 I can make bread happen, guys. It's not a problem. He can make bread happen. But what he is worried about for them is not that they would uh, not bring food, but that they would beware the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Those people who were saying, prove to us, show us a sign. You know, the, the disciples were in the same spot as the Pharisees. Oh, we didn't bring bread. And Jesus is in essence telling them, look, trust in me. I can provide the bread you need. I can provide the food but also trusted me for salvation. There, it's, it's not just the little things, it's the big thing. The little things, remember, the, the, the miracles point to the message. And so, sometimes I think we, we get it the other way, whereas, uh, kind of like the disciples, they're all, you know, they're believing Jesus, and they're following him, and they're walking with him. But they think, oh, we got to bring bread, we forgot the bread, he's getting on to us, we, we didn't bring bread, and now he's disappointed in us. You know, sometimes we, we're willing to trust Jesus for our salvation, but we think we've got to take care of everything else. You know, it, it is our responsibility to take care of everything else. We'll, we'll, we'll take, he takes care of my salvation, but now I've got to make sure I'm fed. I've got to make sure I, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And, and, and Jesus' point is no. Trust in me. Look at the signs of the world. Look at the signs of the time and discern what is happening. If Jesus can provide salvation, he can certainly provide a meal. And he has proven it by providing the food for the 5,000 and providing the food for the 4,000. And if Jesus can provide the meal, well, then guess what? He can also provide the salvation. 
There were people that were willing to accept that Jesus was healing people. There were people that were willing to accept that he had some interesting teaching. What they didn't accept was that they needed to believe in him, that he was the way, the truth, and the life. That was where the Pharisees missed out. Our trust in Jesus. We need to learn to trust. And our trust in Jesus needs to be total. Not just for salvation, but we'll take care of our physical needs. Not just in physical needs, but we'll take care of our salvation. Our trust in Jesus needs to be total. It needs to be total. He, he tells us time and again, our Father will provide for us. That doesn't mean necessarily that we don't have to go out and work. The Israelites in the Exodus, He provided manna for them every day. They had to go out and get it. They had to collect it. They had to bring it in. They had to cook it. The day they entered the promised land, that manna stopped. It was not a permanent setup. He promised them a land of flowing with milk and honey. They were going to have to work it. They were going to have to plant. They were going to have to plow. They were going to have to harvest. They were going to have to work. But while they took care of that land, he told them, if you will trust me, I will provide the rain. But if you depart from me, I will dry the land up. We may have to find ourselves doing work, but our focus, our trust is in him to provide the results, to provide the means. And sometimes he will provide for us even though we did not work. Because he's our father and he loves us. This is the the leaven of the Pharisees. That lack of trust in God. That religious going through the motions practices, but not trusting him. We say we have faith, I believe, but then we want to take care of it ourselves. We don't have to. He is great enough to provide for his children. He wants us to trust him. That was the lesson that Jesus wanted the, the disciples to get. And, and this wasn't the last time he taught them that lesson because it takes time to learn to trust God. He starts us off small a lot of times. He takes us to big places. I hope today for us that as Jesus promised, I am with you always, even to the end of the age that we would learn to trust Him. Are you growing weak? You don't need to be strong. Paul says, in my weakness, He is strong. Are you growing tired? You don't need to have the energy. What we need to do is trust Him. Do you feel like you don't have enough of what it takes? Maybe you're right where God wants you to be. That you would start trusting in Him. Don't sit around saying, I forgot the bread. Don't sit around saying, I'm not doing enough. Don't sit around saying, I need to be more. Trust Him. Whatever you've got is what He needs. You've got enough. Whether it's five loaves and two fish, or whether it's seven loaves and a little bit of fish, you've got enough. 
Trust him. Trust him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the lessons that you teach us. We pray, Lord, that that you would keep us from the leaven of the Pharisees, that, that religion without faith, all the rules, all the practices, all the things we need to look good without truly following you. We pray, Lord, today that you would help us to learn to trust. That, uh, that we would trust you with everything we are. That we would trust aspects of our lives, not just for our salvation, but we'll take care of things at home. But Lord, that we would trust you for our salvation, that we would trust you for our daily bread, that we would trust you for what we are going to wear, that we would trust you for our retirement, that we would trust you for tomorrow, and tomorrow's tomorrow. Lord, may we trust in you, that you are our Father, that you love us, and that you will provide for us. We pray, Lord, for anyone today hearing this in this room or on the internet who has yet to place their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Maybe they're trying to be good in their own ability. Father, we pray that they would trust in Him. That we would acknowledge and recognize just how powerful, just how awesome, just how holy You are. That You've loved us and You've given us Your Son. And if You have done that, You will not ignore us. You will not forget us. You will not leave us behind. But you will provide. May we trust in Jesus Christ for our salvation. May we trust in your Holy Spirit for our guidance and conviction of sins. May we trust you, Lord, to complete the good work you have begun in our lives. Help us to trust, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.